Hey everyone, welcome to episode 90 of the Switch Focus podcast. I'm your host, Andy Corrigan. With me is Andrew Brown. Hello. Uh, no, Ginny, uh, she was meant to be here, but she's currently stuck in traffic. The motorway exit she usually uses is closed and traffic's bumper to bumper, so we're going to splice in her thoughts on, on Inaki later. But we're going to talk about uh, my final thoughts on Astral Chain. Uh, a little bit about Damon X Machina's second demo and whether it swayed my opinion. We're going to talk about Ring Fit Adventure, Blasphemous, Star Wars, Pinball, and that's about it. Okay, so updates from the previous episode. Uh, I finished Astral Chain yesterday. Uh, my thoughts haven't really changed a great deal since the last time we spoke. Pretty much it's a great game with very fun combat and a nonsense story, which is everything I've come to expect from Platinum. Uh, and it's a, a wild ride that I enjoyed pretty much every second of. Chapter 6 in particular is very, very good and possibly one of my favourite Platinum levels ever made. So yeah, that's uh, it's up there in terms of that. I did We did talk briefly about the, the story and you know, what it's trying to say or whether there's any, you know, messaging or whatever like that. Uh, there's there's not really. It's just a silly police story. And uh, I think that was its aim the whole time. Uh, there was talk that maybe the, the Chimera are, uh, should be sympathised with in, in terms of them being used as uh, police weapons and being turned into the legions uh, that's that's never handled they're just considered mindless enemies that kidnap humans and want to destroy the world so yeah it's never explored any anything deeper than that so i don't think there's any any worry about the the slavery aspect because it's never presented as as a moral thing it's just they're repurposing these um killing machines and using them to even the odds it does continue to ape uh, Evangelion a little bit as you go on just little key story beats come up um, and also I did question the use of the the twins as the main characters because uh, it seemed that the twin you don't pick just sort of ends up speaking for you a lot uh, in the early parts of the story they do become more significant as the story goes on somewhat predictably that that seems like most of the story is pretty predictably but it, it did still manage to surprise me here and there so uh, yeah i enjoyed it a lot one of my favorite combat systems i've seen on the switch this year easily yeah i i, I kind of want to go back and, and try and get some of the s ranks on some of those levels so yeah i'll keep you posted on that uh secondly damon x machina came out this week it had two demos uh both me and andrew played the first demo i think and we both came away like pretty down on it that's right isn't it yeah it looked boring it still looks boring i'm not swayed <laughs> uh, i decided to to play the demo uh, i know Ginny was interested in this and enjoyed what she played of it at uh, pax a couple of weeks ago and i just wanted to see if it would change opinion i have this thing with this game where everyone was like looking forward to it or a lot of people were looking forward to it i saw a few people play the original demo and like pre-order it on the back of it and i'm like i don't get it what do you like about it and the best people would ever say was it's mechs and then the answer was well if you don't like mech games then you won't like this it's like i do like mech games i like good mech games so just out of interests of uh you know fact checking and all that business i downloaded the second demo and I, I gave it a go today uh the demo itself is largely the same as the original demo same sort of thing with the character creator um and like the training missions that they give you are exactly the same as the previous one happy to report it doesn't feel quite as floaty 
uh, as the previous demo like i actually have feedback for the things i'm doing i feel like my ammo is hitting enemies the weapons still feel a little weak and the combat's still a bit mindless it's basically you have this big aim in reticule any enemy that is in there gets auto targeted and you you're just pulling the trigger to aim there's no like real finesse in that the the further it went i went the full full round with the demo this time the the first one i tapped out after like three or four missions because it was just just not doing anything for me i stuck this one out uh, and it does get a lot better the more you stick with it uh, it has a type of upgrade system i think i would enjoy like i like constant tinkering with parties and equipment in other games and this sort of has that but i feel like other games would suit me more you also uh there's something i found out just because i saw this one through you do get other abilities you can equip um so this in this demo they give you mirage which lets you create a, a copy of yourself to help distract and attack enemies uh it's limited use with an a meter of a, a substance called femto which <laughs> made me laugh i don't know why maybe because i'm just childish so that was the thing that changes up the combat a little bit and helps you strategize i like it a little more at the end of it am i gonna pick it up now absolutely not there's too much stuff that i know i like coming and i might pick it up in a sale later the final thing i want to say is no one in this game story understands what mercenaries are so you're meant to be playing as a mercenary taking on jobs for corporations and stuff and there's like all these mercenary guys stood around talking about how they have a duty to do the right thing and to try and save the world and it's like no no you're you're a mercenary you're just meant to do jobs for money that's it there's no <laughs> not, not, not meant to be any honor in that system so uh, yeah uh, i'm glad i gave it a, a go i think the gameplay loop is actually a lot better than i gave credit for with the previous demo so but yeah i'll wait and uh, pick it up when it's cheaper okay so with that let's uh, move on to the latest switch news <laughs> Okay, so uh, Nintendo have finally explained what their new exercise doohickey is. It's called the Rincon. Uh, it comes with a leg strap. Uh, both things you plug your your Joy-Con into uh, and you use it to play a game called Ring Fit Adventure. Uh, this is kind of like a, a light RPG with exercise elements uh, to move around the map. You you jog on the spot and uh, you you squeeze the ring in to shoot bursts of light at enemies or whatever then you can jump into battle with enemies where you have to hit them with the right sort of attack whether whether it's like an exercise attack or a yoga attack or pilates sort of thing it looks interesting but what really got me was just this whole trailer was just hilarious and i don't know if it's parody or serious the people that explain it are just so intense and so serious and the way the camera just zooms in on their face is just terrifying how, how did you find that for corporate awkwardness Andrew? it looked like a commercial that was aimed at middle-aged housewives really <laughs> this didn't air in, in a nintendo direct that kind of says it all right there they keep using the imagery of like people playing with it and families all around them who exercises with their family around them <laughs> no one uh but um yeah, so you, you've got a note in here that you don't think it's meant for handheld play? Well, yeah, I mean, can you imagine playing this with your Switch in tabletop mode? I can't. <laughs> I, I, can, I can counter it a little bit, because it, it would work exactly the same as Just Dance does, and that, that works okay. You just have to be closer to it than, uh, than you would your TV, of course. But yeah, my wife had Just Dance in the early days and played it in the back room on tabletop mode, and yeah, that was fine. So I think it would work, but you'd de I think you'd want a TV for, for what you're seeing on the screen. And that's it. That was a low news week, really. So uh, let's get on and talk about what we played this week. 
Okay, so the first game we're going to talk about is uh, Blasphemous. This is a game I certainly have an interest in. I, I love the look of that trailer. Uh, Andrew, you've had a chance to play it. Uh, have you beat it? Yeah, I finished it. It's about a good 15-20 hour game. It's it's a, it's a good chunk of platform. Nice. Um, so it looked a bit like a uh, dark metroidvania. I'm, trying, I'm going to avoid saying the obvious name. Uh, maybe you'll say it. <laughs> um, so how are you finding it? I enjoyed it, uh, actually. This is, I, I speaking as a lapsed Catholic, this is the most Catholic game I've ever played. Because <laughs> it's all about guilt over things that you, you don't even know what you did wrong and ridiculously extravagant and ostentatious acts of penance. Because you, you play as this character called the Penitent One who refuses to speak. Uh, they've taken a vow of silence for something that they've done. That That's kind of how everything in this game works. It, it's not necessarily based on a god, because it doesn't refer to a god at all. Uh, the religion in the game is dedicated to this thing called the Miracle, which is this thing that happened to an especially remorseful child and you you find the details of this story over the course of the game and uh this this amazing thing happened to them called the miracle and now everybody in the world is trying to do the same thing they're all acting out their own forms of of penance and they can they can get pretty ridiculous in the lengths that they go to to demonstrate their penitence and also like the currency in this game is literally tears which you earn by killing enemies in horrible bloody fashion and your character cries and (laughs) the tears that they accumulate through feeling bad about their awful deeds is how you buy things and you find all kinds of relics Uh, most of them are body parts from deceased saints and a lot of these saints have died in especially ironic ways like uh, there's one guy who uh you find some one of his bones he was a string maker, and like his claim to fame was how strong his strings were, but the people didn't believe his strings were all that strong, so they hung him with his own strings, and they held. So he then proved that his strings were as strong as he claimed. <laughs> Just things like that. It's a really... Who's the real winner there, eh? <laughs> it's, it's a really dark game, and honestly, there is all kinds of this stuff. If you go back through Catholic history and Catholic saints... All kinds of stuff like that was going on. But aside from just the tone really being drawn from this this Catholic imagery, and it's this got a lot of gothic kind of like painting inspiration, the plot really draws a lot from Dark Souls. It's unavoidable. You encounter a lot of mysterious characters over the course of the game, and I wasn't quite sure to what extent these characters behaved like characters in dark souls because like you know in dark souls when you run into characters depending upon how you interact with them they live or they die and they turn hollow and become evil or so on and so forth so i I wasn't quite sure how detailed it was in blasphemous it's really not that bad like early on in the game there's a woman you can make a pact with before each boss fight and if you do choose to make a pact with her then she'll give you a few free heals over the course of the fight but every time she healed me next time i ran into her she had aged visibly and after the third fight she she died of old age after the fight ended and i was like am i going to regret this later is this going to punish me but near as i can tell she's just a crutch if you need it and 
boy, did I need it, because some of these bosses were pretty hard. This is a Dark Souls-inspired game. It draws a lot from that. It's not as difficult as Dark Souls is, but it's definitely still drawing from that. Like, you, you have to dodge enemy attacks, otherwise you will take a lot of damage, and you will inevitably die. And especially early on, when you haven't upgraded your character yet, taking those hits is really going to feel it. But the counter mechanic is really generous. I can't think of an easier game I've played where counterattacking is easier to pull off, which is good because there are quite a few enemies where countering their attacks is pretty much the only way to actually hurt them. Once I upgraded my sword a few times and I found a few health upgrades, the game's difficulty really leveled out. It definitely plateaued. So it's got a really rough beginning, but it levels out over time. There are multiple endings to unlock, and I got the bad ending, and then I looked up how to get the good ending because I had no clue what I was really supposed to do, and I, I compare that to like Hollow Knight, which has a bad ending and then a good ending and then a better ending, and... I was very clear what I needed to do to get the good ending in Hollow Knight because the game doesn't necessarily tell you what you need to do, but there are there are clearly things that you have not done yet if you get the bad ending. In this game, I had no clue. So I looked it up, and really what you have to do like, is a thing I had no idea it was even possible to do. And it doesn't really add anything. You just go back and you fight the same boss, and you get a different ending. So it's a little arcane, and it doesn't really add anything so i just i just stopped there at like 90 percent completion i was like yeah that's fine I, i've got the gist of this game this game is an adventure platformer and that that's where the game struggles a little bit is it in its platforming it, this game playing it uh, feels a lot like castlevania this this feels more like the castlevania sequel we should have got instead of bloodstained and so it, it handles about on par with the castlevania games unfortunately it's got platforming that was designed for you know, precision of something like Celeste or Super Mario or even Hollow Knight. And it, the sensitivity and the accuracy of the jumping just is not on that level. So by far the things I struggled the most with in this game was not the combat and not losing to specific enemies or even to specific bosses. It was getting through certain hallways that are just gauntlets of, you know, spikes that knock you into pits of death and these are there's a few places in this game where those really stand out and that's not helped by performance issues i did run into frame drops that got worse and worse and worse over the course of the game they happened more and more often and when you're fighting enemies that require you to counter them when the frames suddenly skip ahead several milliseconds or when you're platforming and you're trying to make very minute jumps and suddenly the game skips ahead again that messes you up that was uh that was pretty rough but it had a pretty minor effect on my overall enjoyment of the game this is a very open game lets you tackle it in many different ways like the first half of the game there are three bosses you're looking for to take on you can take them on in pretty much any order you want and then the second half of the game same deal uh and I, I really enjoyed my time with it. Uh, this was a really eye-catching game in all the Nintendo Directs. It continues to be eye-catching. The bosses, the boss design is just absolutely amazing. And the rest of the game uh, is 
not groundbreaking. Like you can tell exactly what this game is just by looking at it, but it does a really good job of inhabiting those qualities. I, I enjoy Blasphemous. It's a good game. Nice. Sounds like something I would enjoy completely. So uh, yeah, I think I'll pick that up at some point soon. Uh, the animation looks gorgeous. Gorgeous sprite animation. Yeah, cool. Um, so with that, let's uh, take a chance to check in with Ginny. She has been playing Onaneki uh, from Tokyo RPG Factory. So uh, both me and her are big fans of I Am Satsuna. The first two thirds of Lost Sphere. <laughs> that, that final third is a real drain. And this is their version of a sort of action RPG. So uh, let's see how she's been finding that. So, for those who are unfamiliar, Oninaki is by Tokyo RPG Factory. So, they made I Am Setsuna, which I know Andrew and myself loved, I believe, or Andy and myself loved. And then they made Lost Sphere, which was less beloved by also the both of us. Um, just in terms of, of why, just sort of running down why I personally thought I Am Setsuna was so good. It had incredible design. Sure, it was a little bit sparse um, on the music and the aesthetic front, but that was intentional. It had a very heartfelt story. It wasn't years long, and it did a lot with its design concept, aesthetic, and its design philosophy, and game mechanics, and enemies, and all that. That kind of really carried that line of thinking all the way through. So in terms of how I'm measuring Oninaki's success and quality, I'm kind of comparing it to I Am Setsuna in the way that there is one central fundamental concept, which is a bit bleak, um, which is sort of like has been incorporated into the entire world and informs the decisions and the behaviors of all the people in the world. So in Oninaki, the central, I guess, conflict slash premise of the whole thing is that people die. People just die. Um, but in this game, um, all their souls enter, or people believe that their souls enter the cycle of reincarnation. But if you have any regrets when you die, or there's anything going on that you're stressed about when you die, or anything that worries you when you die, then when you pass away, your soul becomes lost, and you can't properly cross over into the next life. And if you're lost for too long, you become a monster, essentially. And how the world has dealt with this from its religious perspective is it's created a kind of spiritual police, in a way, um, the Watchers. And they essentially help people figure out what is stopping them from moving on to the next life, and they help them deal with it. Um, And if it sounds like it's got a fixation on death and the morbid, the game does. (laughs) Spoilers, obviously, for a game which philosophizes about death, um, it's going to have a fixation on death. And it really kind of hits you very hard with that material very, very early on. I think one of the first things you see is assisted suicide um, and the death of, of, of children, really, um, and, and family. And it's a lot. The way that the game doesn't... The game, I wouldn't say glosses over those things, but it doesn't... It treats material that would be otherwise shocking as par for the course for the game's universe. And rightfully so it is. And I think in a way that actually makes that material stand out more, the rather blasé treatment of a very strong, potentially controversial themes is, is interesting to me from a narrative standpoint and engaging. And I really enjoy how these things manifest as mechanics, how the whole lost and fallen, the whole two worlds thing manifest as mechanics, because in the game you can obviously, spoiler, cross between the living world and the world of the dead. And there are enemies in both, 
um, and your skills work in both as you are one of the titular watchers and um, it's a good time the combat is not like Lost Sphere or I Am Setsuna at all it plays a lot more like an action RPG as a disclaimer if you were someone that thought you know what I'm really really in love with the I Am Setsuna combat system or the Lost Sphere combat system or the Lost Sphere exploration system with the overworld that is not what you will encounter here there are definitely some condensed elements that have been modernized, some quality of life updates that have been included into this Tokyo RPG Factory game. Um, we move away from the old Final Fantasy overworld traversal layout and more into a fast travel-y waypoint type thing, which is good. It cuts down on time and it, it makes sense because the focus here is not so much on slogging through the overworld mechanically or really cutting a path through the enemies. Combat is by the by. It is there because you need to push through to another area. It is there to provide a service. But it's still good. Um, you use a Persona-esque system of summoning and controlling demons, some more helpful than others. The game tries to encourage you to use different kinds of demons, but I just went with my glass cannon sword demon that I got from the start, because A, her story was compelling, and like in Persona, you, you rank up support levels by playing with these demons, unlocking stories and skills. Um, on part of the same skill tree. So it kind of really forces you to mesh and think about the narrative and the combat mechanics together, which I really enjoyed. So yeah, I blasted through everything with my sword demon from the beginning because she was great. Um, and I mean, yeah, there are other types of demons and they, they give you the option to engage in RPG party-esque gameplay. Like have a tank demon to help you tank. Have a ranged demon with a gun, you know. Um, or just do what I did, which is just max out your sword demon because she is the best and pure and awesome and just slaughter everything in your path. That is also a possible way to play. And I appreciate that, that freedom in an otherwise very linear RPG. So Oninaki, I enjoyed. Um, it seems to have reviewed, um, it seems to have come out to mixed reviews when it came out. But I enjoy the way that it tackles its rather solemn subject matter without whatsoever, without being so bleak that it delves into hopelessness because sometimes you have really tough things in JRPGs that just get you down and this game has a starting point um and I think I would say a couple of hours maybe the first 10 hours or so I was still kind of muddling about going okay I'm acquainting myself with this premise I enjoy this premise but I'm waiting for it to go somewhere and it definitely does go somewhere so I enjoy the interplay with the characters there was some talk I suppose about how not all of them feel fleshed out. And there was quite a large story cast. Um, sure, there are two main characters to focus on, but there is a big story cast, so I can see how it feels that way. But if you if you look at the game as a philosophical exploration of death um, and see its mechanics as a way to A, subvert, navigate, and cope with that, I think you will have a good time. And if you like Tokyo RPG Factory games, because, I mean, they're great. Lost Sphere hit and miss for me, but I Am Setsuna was mint, and this is very much reminiscent, not aesthetically or environmentally stylistically of I Am Setsuna, but its bones feel like I Am Setsuna. And I really enjoyed that, and that will really come through to you if you really loved I Am Setsuna. So if you enjoyed that game, please pick this up. I love it. I've been chipping away at it here and there, and um, I dig it. Recommend it. Big Rex. So please check out Oninaki. Okay, so the other game I played this week, ever since, I guess, (laughs) recovering and slash dragging my husk of a body back from PAX West, uh, is The World Next Door. And I really, really enjoyed The World Next Door. Um, My friend Caitlin talked to me about it 
couple of months ago, I would say at this point, a couple of weeks ago, time is relative. Um, but she did mention it to me and I really enjoyed what she had said about it. Um, she had sort of sold to me as like a, someone has a sword and a cat mask as a tiefling esque character and some other guy with horns. And I was like, you know what? Love all of those things. Love D and D primo. So why not? <laughs> um, so Rose City Games, like I said, they make Cat Lady. Um, and if you are familiar with at all with Cat Lady and its marketing shtick, um, which is, you know, the ridiculously bright color palette, um, very distinctive character designs, um, and a slightly wacky, slightly supernatural flavored um, premise, then the World Egg Store has all of those things already. And I think it's out on mobile as well. I don't quote me on that one, but I feel like I have seen it on some other store somewhere. Um, maybe even Steam. But yeah, no, so there's a World Next Door. And the World Next Door is, as the name suggests, a game about a parallel universe, essentially. Um, in this game world, there is a place called Emrys, um, a world full of creatures uh, where magic is real. Um, and it's parallel to Earth, but they are aware of each other. Um, sort of almost to the point whereby um, it, there's like an uneasy shared existence in a way. And you can actually win a lottery to visit Emrys and you can win a lottery in Emrys to visit Earth. Um, because that is, I guess, how things go. Interdimensional travel is lottery based, which is a fine, safe system to have. Spoilers, not safe. Um, essentially, some stuff happens and you are essentially stuck in Emrys. Um, but if you spend too long there, you will die. That's a thing. Um, and obviously, as you can tell, the conceit of the game is to prevent yourself from, from expiring in this world um, and also surviving in this world. So this game kind of blends, I would say, VN-style dialogue presentation um, and, and also a match-three game. It sounds like a weird mix. It did feel a bit bizarro when I first played it, but I kind of took it real quick because I love match-three games. I played so much Candy Crush. It's horrific. But yeah, it's a real-time match three system um, when you're in combat. Um, and if you match stuff up, you can then cast attacks against your enemies, depending on the kind of tile that you've matched up. You've got attack tiles, healing tiles, you've got defensive tiles. Uh, and you can obviously match tiles to use skills for later. So you can kind of like um, pre-plan in advance, I guess, uh, to navigate around some tricky spots when you're in combat. But the, the match three combat, I find a little bit un unwieldy. Um, I, like I said, love match three games, but uh, execution-wise, um, I think that they could have done potentially more with it. Um, also, it looks like sometimes the rune arrangements, I think they're proc generated, they must be random or something, because sometimes everything lines up and other times nothing lines up, um, which is which is fine, um, but it can be frustrating um, in the span of what is quite a short game to run to a, a whole bunch of, of, of bumps, I suppose. Um, but aside from that, I mean, the combat is, is there, it's it's serviceable, but that really is not, I think, what I really enjoyed about the game. I really enjoyed the characters, um, and I am a sucker for a great story. I am a sucker for even a story that has a modicum of anything that I am into, um, and I really, really enjoy what they've done with the the people of Embrace, which is they've turned the usual, like, oh, parallel universe, like, in, like, very the magician style, right? Like, fey stuff is real, like, mythical creatures are real. And I really enjoy how they've designed some of these characters. Like I said, there's a character with a horn and tail. Um, there's undead characters. 
characters were mermaids, but it is very much an analog world for our own. So when I say parallel, I don't mean like medieval parallel universe. Um, I mean like one to one with Earth. So these kids in Emery's um, and you are a kid yourself, June, um, from Earth. These kids are essentially high school slash college tropes. So I have those tropes worked into their writing. So there's jocks, there's goss, you know, there's the nerds. And I really like what they've done with the design of these characters um, and kind of like, I guess, normalized it. Like the way that they've designed these modern accoutrements to these characters works very, very seamlessly and very well. And I do enjoy that. I feel like it, it really helps to solidify the the bond that you develop as your character with these characters from parallel uni- from this parallel universe there's no like it's believable that you, get, that you would get along with them and relate to them and hang out with them because you're both literally teenagers in high school that is the fundamental similarity there and it works i like it there is a shrine system essentially um as part of the game we had to complete them and while those are not entirely i would say distinct from each other the music is always very good i really enjoyed the music design in this game the sound design was very good it's not fully voiceovered but that's not a problem for me never a deal breaker for me even though i was really spoiled by masquerada and how that was so completely voiced but this is fun they even had a, a different language i assume in a way for emery's that sounded like well not anything at all like english um, but I, I did enjoy it. I really liked what they did with it. The settings were limited, but they got the point across. Um, I really enjoyed having side quests there for the characters for me to do, while those weren't particularly mechanically different from actually going through the shrines and combat and what you do for yourself. Um, it was a chance to get to know them and a chance to interact with them. So I enjoyed that. Um, However, the game just do some things which it doesn't really... Well, the game has some concepts which it doesn't really fully fulfill on. Um, this will be a little bit of a spoiler, so I won't really talk about it. But there is, some, there is an item that you have which you don't really use a whole lot until the very end. It seems really cool, but it's like a glorified key. You can track what you've got, but that doesn't really mean anything. Like, you don't need your bag there's no bag interface or no quest interface that requires you to really interact meaningfully with what you have. And there's a whole lot of plot lines in there which get introduced, which I kind of feel are not really fully followed through on. So narrative concept-wise, it starts off really strong, but I think it peters out towards the end. Then again, I think it delivers a very fun romp um, and a very fun take on parallel universes. I enjoy what it does with the characters and what it does with the design and how everyone looks. And the premise is great. I think it's a fun game. Um, and I don't think it's particularly pricey on the Switch either. So if you want something that you can chip away at that is just some lighthearted fun um, and you enjoy your monster boys and monster gals, um, then I would pick it up. I think it is cute. Uh, I Like I said, I saw Cat Lady first before playing this game. I'm already sold on the next Rose City Games project. Um, and yeah, no, it definitely feels like they've got the same core aesthetic informing both of them. So I would have a look. I'd check it out. Okay, and the final game we're going to talk about this week uh, is Star Wars Pinball. Uh, Andrew's been championing uh, pinball as a as a form uh, of video game for the past couple of weeks now. Uh, and I know this is one he was super excited for. So how, how have you been finding it? I've been finding it 
you know, good. Uh, it's about what I expected it to be. But surprisingly, I don't think many people have jumped on this package because I'm looking at like the leaderboards and literally there's a couple dozen people on there. <laughs> and like I'm looking at the leaderboards for some of the last missions in the career mode, which I'll get to talking about that in a while. Uh, at the end of this game's you air quotes campaign, there's only including me five people who've gotten that far in it so i don't think yeah. this has been a very successful uh package for zen studios in spite of the the star wars brand name being on there now, i'm aware that in the past few episodes there have been long segments that's just me talking f about these huge game releases that go on for 20 to 30 minutes i know that's probably not terribly interesting to listen to it's probably not terribly interesting for uh, andy and jenny to have to listen to while they're while we are recording and it's probably not all that interesting for our editor craig but you know i have to say i've been talking about pinball fx3 i've described it in at least four episodes of the past you know 90 that we've recorded so i guess it's not that big a deal but I've always been resigned to the fact that I'm going to talk about this Pinball FX3 service platform, but I know I'm not going to be changing anybody's minds about digital pinball tables. You know, you either like pinball or you don't. I, I've just accepted that before now. I'm not going to accept that here. I am going to actually spend some time, and it's going to be another 20 minutes to 30 minutes of me talking, pitching pinball to the unconverted. So here we go. Pinball is mechanical engineering meets video game design. That's reductive and anachronistic because pinball was developed in concurrence with video games. In fact, it even predated it somewhat. But that's the easiest way to understand pinball, especially today, now that pinball is dying if not dead and video games are remaining ascendant and becoming the most popular form of entertainment on the planet certainly in terms of sales now how pinball works is physical components on a slanted table move the ball predictably if frenetically around the field activating triggers which increase a digital point counter now physical pinball tables are heavy and expensive and prone to breaking which leads to the advantage of digital pinball tables, which in addition to not requiring expensive repairs and maintenance and all that, digital pinball tables also let designers ignore the physical laws somewhat, but they are still more based in reality than most video games because they would not be recognizable as pinball tables if they didn't. Now, pinball is sometimes categorized as a genre, even as recently as last week. I played Creature in the Well, which billed itself repeatedly as pinball, even though it resembles pinball in no way. This is, I think, where people go wrong when they think about pinball. It's not a genre. It's a form of game unto itself. It has its own philosophy, and it has its own design ethos, and it has its own method of play. If you think of pinball as just a type of video game, then you are barking up the wrong tree straight out of the gate. 
Thinking of a digital pinball table as a video game may actually be entirely incorrect. And technology has simply grown to the point where physical pinball tables can be recreated wholly digitally. A video game platform is just the easiest way to distribute these digital recreations of a physical game. Uh, it's the same kind of idea as, like, you know, video poker, which is video gamey, but it's it's a digital recreation of a card game. It's not a video game. Now, this rise of digital pinball tables that replicate the physical tables entirely is relatively recent. And only in the past 10 years, really, have we uh, had the technology to fully recreate what can be done physically in a digital way, which I think might lead to the bad reputation of digital pinball among people who play video games. I'm thinking of digital pinball games like, you know, Pinball on the NES, which was just called Pinball. It had no personality at all. It was just knocking a ball around a table. It was all brown and orange colors. It was really ugly to look at. It was really boring to play. It was not a good representation of a good pinball game. And there's also more famously, the 3D Pinball Space Cadet on PC, which used to be packed in with every copy of Windows, which I think there's a lot of nostalgia around that game, but not nostalgia around it as a good game, just nostalgia of like, <laughs> you remember that thing that we used to play when we were supposed to be paying attention in computer class? Yeah. But what a good pinball table is capable of is so much more than NES Pinball or Space Cadet. I think another obstacle that people run into with pinball is they think of it as random, when in fact, very little of what happens in pinball is random. It can all be very controlled, and it's all very predictable. And the problem is, pinball tables are so intricate, and there are so many ways that you can interact with things that it's not immediately clear that what just happened happened for a reason, for something that you, as the person controlling the flippers and the tilt on the pinball table, did to make the ball behave in the way it did, likely leading straight into sinking into the drain. There are bad pinball tables, of course, where this happens, but on a good pinball table, if you know how it works and you practice at it, that will not happen as often as you might feel it does. Now, in the past, I have complained about some of the Pinball FX3 tables that they do feel random, but that was just me complaining. And there was even a lawsuit about this. I think it was back in the 70s. Somebody with too much time on their hands was complaining that a pinball machine was basically gambling. And so. The pinball manufacturers had a very skilled pinball player come into court and play a pinball game and demonstrated that pinball is a game of skill, not a game of chance, by having this player hit the ball into a target under a variety of different conditions, and the player was able to do it. And that proved definitively in a court of law, pinball is a game of skill, not a game of chance. To compare it to kind of a video game example that people might understand, pinball is random in the same way Pac-Man is random. When you first start playing Pac-Man, it appears random, but once you've played long enough, you recognize that the ghosts 
follow familiar behavior based on their own AI patterns and how you move Pac-Man. And once you've recognized these behaviors, or once you've read a guide online explaining them, you can anticipate how the ghosts will react to your path through the maze, and a higher level of Pac-Man play opens up, to the point that you can play the game with your eyes closed, because you know how the ghosts will respond. Pinball tables behave the same way. A precisely timed shot can be counted to behave similarly to the last time you made an identically timed shot under the same conditions. Where the complication comes in is there are many, many, many conditions to keep track of. Skill enters in learning the myriad of ways a ball may react to the table as it returns to the flippers, and mastering the millisecond of timing needed to send the ball where you want it to go. But having said that, pinball is not monolithic. You can't just learn pinball, as each pinball table is very unique, with varying concepts and difficulties, but they are not variations on a theme. Thinking that they are is like thinking that skill at Super Mario Brothers makes you good at Halo. Every table is its own game. Just as every table is its own game, every table tells a story, or at least the good ones do. Like, we can even look at video games for examples on this one too. Like, The Legend of Zelda boiled down to its original game design concept was about Shigeru Miyamoto exploring caves in the countryside around his house where he grew up. Pikmin was based on Miyamoto's interest in gardening in the late 90s. It's the same thing with pinball tables. Like, the fishtails, which is a very famous physical pinball table, is based on lying to your friends about the size of the fish you just caught. And Sorcerer's Lair, which is a table that comes free with Pinball FX3 on Switch, is about a brother and sister trying to escape from a haunted castle. Pinball tables tell stories through activating missions, and these missions will often add new mechanics or toys or rules to the table, especially in digital tables because they are not constrained by what it is physically possible to create with gears and cogs and metal bits and all of that. Now, completing every mission on the table will finish the story and usually opens up a high-scoring bonus round, often called Wizard Mode, and when Wizard Mode is finished, the table resets to its default state and play continues, like in an endlessly looping classic game such as Super Mario Bros. Now, getting good at a particular table is really little different than learning the quirks, tricks, and timing that allow precision shots in shooters and jumps in platformers. So getting good at a pinball table is learning what you just did, which resulted in a seemingly random slam dunk into the drain, and not doing that again. And as you practice a single table, like, even if you don't realize it's happening, you will find yourself getting better, and those random ball drains will happen less and less and less. So what it all comes down to is, if you've tried pinball and didn't like it, which is a legitimate feeling to have, don't get me wrong, but I would encourage you to consider the fact that maybe you just didn't like the table you played in the same way that in the same way that somebody who plays Angry Birds and doesn't like it would be a fool to say that they don't like video games when all they've played is Angry Birds. You need to play more than just Angry Birds before you can say you don't like video games, because all you know at that point is you don't like Angry Birds. You know, maybe the table you played was just one of the harder ones, maybe you didn't like the theme. It could be a number of factors. Do some reading and try a variety of tables before you come to a judgment, and there are many ways to find free-to-play pinball tables out there, 
that you can avail yourself of if you're interested of. Which brings me to Zen Studios and Pinball FX3, which I've described a couple times, including just two episodes previous, so I'm going to be real quick about this, but it is a free-to-download premium service platform that sells original and recreated from the physical version digital pinball tables. Now, in addition to providing these tables, it also provides a framework around all these tables that that add a lot of metagaming and competitive aspects to it, including tournaments and leaderboards that are based on global leaderboards and also just comparing how you did with your friends and adding mastery ratings to the tables where you build up towards 200 total rating points on every individual table by completing different tasks on the table. Like if you want to get all the mastery points for multi-ball, you need to keep activating the multi-ball functions on the table until Pinball FX3 tells you that you've mastered that part of the table and then you can move on to the next part and i have had a lot of fun going through the tables that i was given for free and the ones i bought earning these mastery ratings more important thing that zen studios is doing with their pinball fx line is they are doing the important work of preserving pinball tables in a digital format as physical tables begin to break down, requiring repairs, and these repairs call for increasingly expensive and rare parts, and require the hiring of specialists who are very expensive, and even then you have to pay to ship the pinball machine to them, and quite frankly, college is probably cheaper. There's a small group of engineers out there that make a very good living repairing pinball tables for barcades and enthusiasts, and even with these people doing this important work of preserving this entertainment art form, we still may never know the number of pinball tables out there which have been permanently lost forever. Digital pinball tables are no substitute for physical tables, but they're the next best thing. And pretty much the only way a lot of the classic pinball tables will ever be played by the current generation of players. But this segment is supposed to be about Star Wars Pinball, uh, so let's talk about that. Star Wars Pinball is a package that was just released this Friday by Zen Studios, who have also done the Pinball FX3 platform. It's a collection of all of their Star Wars tables, which have been unavailable on Switch until now. There are 19 total, all packaged together for $30, which is a steal. Uh, that's less than $2 per table, so it's basically less than $2 for each game that you're playing. That's an amazing deal. These tables are all based on the original trilogy, the animated shows, and the Disney era, so there's tables based on episodes 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8, as well as Solo and Rogue One, and there's also a table based on Rebels and The Clone Wars. Uh, some of the other tables are based on specific locations and events in the series. Like, my favorite is the droids table, which is based on the very short scene in episode 4 where R2-D2 and C-3PO are trapped in a Jawa sandcrawler. There's an entire table based on just that, like, less than one minute of screen time. It's a really creative thing they did. And then there are other tables that are based on specific characters. They're basically character study tables. There's a table based on Darth Vader, which explores his entire history uh, from his birth on Palpatine's little horror table, Frankenstein monster style. 
and there's a Han Solo table, there's a table based on Lando Calrissian called the Calrissian Chronicles, which I'm sure is a favorite of many people. All of this is wrapped up in a framework that is very similar to Pinball FX3, but it adds a few more bells and whistles on it. There's the Galactic Struggle, which has players, when they first boot up the game, choose between the light side and the dark side, and players on each side compete to see who dominates the most. And right now, the light side is just absolutely killing the dark side. The The meter that shows where the balance is at is almost all the way on the light side, which is as it should be. Cosplaying as a fascist is not cool. And then there's career mode, and this is what really drew me to this package. It's, this is completely unique to Star Wars Pinball. It does not exist in Pinball FX3 at all. And what it does is it gives you 100 missions to complete across all 19 tables, and you just do them all in order. And these missions can be a variety of different challenges, like earning a certain score within five minutes on a table, earning a certain score with one, two, or three balls total, earning a score within a certain distance, earning a certain score with only pressing the flippers 200 times total. I can totally see now why Andy thinks of pinball as just a score-chasing mode, but that's really not how I, I think of it. That's not how I interact with it. But yeah, that's what you do in almost everything in this is is you try to reach score milestones. So if that's something you're not into, then yeah, I can understand you not being into that. But really, what is score except inverted hit points? You know, if you're fighting a boss in Dark Souls and you take it down, haven't you really just scored 1,000 points against it? Isn't it the same thing? I think it is. Now, while you're playing the career mode, you can unlock holocron shards, which you can spend on upgrades that increase the points that you can get on the table and increase the amount of time that passive bonuses on the table are active for, so you can potentially keep your ball in play longer, even if it drains. There are 300 holocrons in all to earn in 100 total missions. Collect them all. You know, I think people who know how I play games would understand why I would be attracted to a scheme like that. This career mode is totally what sold me on this package and there's a single player mode which is just straight pinball just straight score chasing and there's rewards you can earn for reaching certain score milestones you just keep playing the table your score keeps building up in the background and once you reach a certain total score on the table not earned at once just cumulatively then you earn all the rewards on that table and you can move on another thing that plays into my you know obsessive mindset and it also has the typical pinball fx3 multiplayer stuff uh it's got tournament play which is limited time one table competitions against other players highest score wins and those have official tournaments that are run by zen studios and also you can compete in tournaments started by other players and there's also league play where there's a preset selection of tables in each season i think each season is only about seven days long and you ascend through competitive ranks, bronze, silver, and gold, by playing on these designated tables. And the nice thing about Star Wars Pinball over Pinball FX3 is you will always have all of the tables for league play, whereas in Pinball FX3, you probably are going to have to buy the tables to play in that season unless you've already bought all the tables. Personally, how I play Pinball FX3 is is I 
I don't buy a new table till I've finished the old one, so I've barely played League Play on that game, but I will actually take a look at it in Star Wars Pinball because I don't have to spend extra money to do it. And of course, this is a Star Wars game. It has the most important part of a Star Wars game. That's the John Williams soundtrack. It is here, uncompromised. It's actually kind of exhausting because it's the battle music all the time. The whole time you're playing the game, it can be a little overwhelming constantly having Starfighter battle music playing in your ears, but you, you can turn the music off. But if you turn Star Wars music off, you're just, a, you're just a, a, a horrible person. There's no other way to say it. But the voice acting talent is not the original actors. They, they just hired actors and actresses who were available. They lean more towards capturing the essence of the character's performance, not really trying to sound like the original actor so it's really hit or miss but i think if you know star wars well you will have no difficulty knowing which character is supposed to be speaking at the time so that's my little pitch for digital pinball tables i hope i've done a decent job of helping people to understand what pinball is a little better because i do think a lot of the reticence people have with playing it is certain assumptions about how pinball works it is not luck based and it's not random in the slightest each table has its own rule set and the tables do tell stories and there are missions to accomplish you just have to know the rules at the table and zen studios is very good about this every table they release has a complete explanation of all the mechanics and rules of every table function. It's kind of an amazing thing. And when you're especially looking at the tables that they've made of tables that exist in the real world, in the physical world, those tutorials are especially helpful. Because I can understand, you know, walking into a classic arcade and going into their pinball room and just looking at this long line of pinball tables that have a lot of noises coming out of them and a lot of moving parts and no explanation on how you're supposed to play these games. Zen Studios has done a lot of great work in demystifying what pinball is, and I think you should give their Pinball FX3 platform a chance if you're not sold on Star Wars Pinball. Pinball FX3 comes with Fishtails, which is an actual physical table, uh, and it comes with Sorcerer's Lair. Both of these are great pinball tables. I recommend trying them if I have hopefully made any kind of dent in your skepticism towards pinball. Now, if you don't like pinball, that's fair enough, but hopefully I've done a good enough job of explaining what pinball is and how it works to people who may not know that I will catch the interest of at least some of you out there to give it a chance. I think pinball is great, and I think platforms like the Pinball Arcade and Pinball FX are very important contributions to the video game ecosystem. Okay, so uh, what are you playing this week, Andrew? It looks like a long list there. <laughs> it's a huge week, but everything is coming out on the same day. Yep. Uh, so I'm, I'm filling the weekend, since there's not much out till Friday, with Torchlight 2, which came out a couple weeks ago. And I'm going to try to wrap up Dragon Quest Builders 2, but I think just for the sake of, you know, length, uh, I'm not going to talk about <laughs> that in the next episode. Uh, but then Friday, uh, Untitled Goose Game is out, and Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening is out. I am definitely playing both of those games. I will be talking about them. Time permitting, 
uh, Nino Kuni and Puzzle Quest: The Legend Returns is also out at the end of next week. I'll be trying to play those two time permitting we'll see what happens uh for me it's a uh, link's awakening as well because this is a drop everything for type of game for me this is uh it's my favorite it's a remake of my favorite 2d zelda uh and i was close to emotional when they announced that they were doing a, <laughs> a new remake so i cannot wait um i'm not even gonna pretend that i'm gonna have time to play nino kuni but i can talk about it because it is one of my my favorite jrpgs uh and was one of my first uh, paid freelance gig so we'll we'll fill you in on what that's about later uh, and let's hear from Ginny about what she's playing um so for what i'm playing this week i am gonna try and finish oninaki um and i am probably gonna end up picking up link's awakening i think that's out for the next episode um or i'll try a little bit of it at least um and yeah you might have some of my thoughts on daemon x machina as well <laughs> Alright everyone, um, that's it for this episode. Thank you for listening um, to this episode of Switch Focus Podcast. Um, we hope you enjoyed the show. Um, if you liked it, you can leave us a comment on iTunes Podcast because it really helped to get us noticed. And we're also pretty much available on every other podcasting platform, including Stitcher, TuneIn, and now the Grand Spotify. Um, if you want to interact with us and our lively Switch Focus community, you can join us on Discord and we'll leave a link for you to that in the show notes. Um, or check out our website, switchfocuspodcast.com, for news, episodes, and other updates. I know that Andrew will be streaming on twitch.tv slash playcritically when more stuff comes out. I know that we have Link's Awakening out very soon, so everyone please have a look at that. Um, and look forward to our coverage of that when that comes out. And yeah, I think it'll be, I think it'll be good. Um, you can follow us individually. I'm Ginny at Ginny Woes. Andrew is at playcritically on Twitter as well as Twitch. And Andrew is at Flame Roast Toast. Okay, now for a half an hour of pinball.